Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane, which always sounds wrong when I have a guest in the studio because it sounds like I want them to, or that we want them to be mundane. That's not the not that's not the case at all. We're gonna have a calm conversation, and we will hopefully have a conversation that will be less than fascinating for many of you, so that you can feel free to just drift off. And if not, we hope that this conversation will just relax you. I want to thank you for joining us. Follow us at Listen and Sleep and give us a five-star review on iTunes because I feel like we need a little more boost in that department. So if you can, five-star and just say, love this podcast. We would appreciate it. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. Joining me is a very dear friend of mine, Matt Campagna. Hello, Marco. Matt? Okay. People need to know that you're my expert that I go to. Whenever there's a um, movie that comes out based on comics, Marvel, or DC, and I'm not 100% sure, you're the person I go to. Well, it's a complicated world of movies based on comic books because when they're comics, they're owned by two companies. But when they're movies, they're owned by like four or five or six companies, and they're not really able to do what they can do in comics. Right. So it's a confusing time. It, it certainly is. And there's so many coming out now based on comics that I heard of, based on comics that I haven't heard of, and in different mediums. So on television, through Netflix, and it's like a world of stories based on comics. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's one company that puts out a guy called The Flash on the small screen. Right. It doesn't look anything like the guy called The Flash on the big screen. And it's like, how did Warner Brothers make that so confusing? What is this world we're living in? But I want to dive into comic book creators. Okay? So, because I this is a world, this is a particular world I have no knowledge in. And so... This is the episode where I want to know about comic book creators. Well, it's also a very fascinating time to talk about comic book creators because, you know, in the 60s and 70s when giants like Jack Kirby were making pretty much every character you love, mm-hmm. whether it if if you've seen it on if you've seen it in a comic book, chances are Jack Kirby made it. Really? Like, he's one of the most legendary comic book creators. He and Stan Lee essentially developed the entire Marvel Universe as we know it. Most people know who Stan Lee is. I know who Stan Lee is. But Mr. Kirby, I'm not so familiar with. Kirby is a guy whose art 
is what's key because Stanley didn't really draw. Mm -hmm. Stanley wrote, Mm -hmm. but Kirby drew. And being a creator of a comic book means you're either responsible for the writing of it or the drawing of it, and in rare occasions, you're responsible for both. But often people say Stanley created the Marvel Universe. Right. Well, Stanley wrote scripts. Right. But what these characters look like, that's Kirby. So it's a really important element, especially to the imprint, especially to DC or to Marvel. The name of the person who's writing and the person who's drawing in your comic book can sell comics wow. almost more than the name of the guy or the girl. Who's the star of the comic? Is it Superman? Who cares? Is Bendis making it? Now I care. Wow. Yeah. So, and in the history of Marvel and DC being these rivals, there have been some really interesting and like earth shaking moments when a major creator from Marvel went over to DC. Oh. Yeah. And, you know. I didn't even know that happened. That happens. And it's interesting. It's a bit like when, you know, a huge sports trade happens and you're like oh no Vince Carter was always our Raptor guy and now he's playing for somebody else and you're a bit torn because you love the Raptors but you love Vince Carter or when you see a political um, a politician cross the floor and join another party when they were elected representing this other party and now they've swung over to the other side and you have to make a decision do I care about the brand or do I care about the creator? Wow. And it's it's exciting because Kirby was actually one of the first big crossers of the floor. Really? Yeah. After he essentially created the Marvel Universe alongside uh, Stan Lee, he wasn't really getting the credit or the royalties. He wasn't getting the kind of treatment Stan Lee was getting. Mm-hmm. And so in a huge move... After creating major characters from the Guardians of the Galaxy, from the for the Avengers, from the X-Men, all the movies you like to see, right. this guy went over to DC and started to create all of the characters. When did this happen, approximately? This happened in the 70s. Okay. And so he started to create all of these new, crazy characters that were way outside of what DC used to do. And, oddly enough... Aver de Vernay was just uh, announced as the director of the Fourth World, the New Gods comics. Okay. And that's a DC comic book made by Jack Kirby. And it's essentially the voice that he had in Marvel that was so popular. Wait a minute. So when was that announced? Uh, that I, was I, announced... I, I, no, because I'm trying to follow. I don't know what this comic is you're talking mm. about. And this is, these are the moments where they end up on screen and I'm like, <laughs> Matt, Matt, help me out here. Well, this was announced, I believe, in February. February oh, so, or March. Uh, so currently, of, like... Yeah, okay. of, tw- of 2018, that Ava DeVernay was going to be directing The New Gods. And the New Gods is essentially DC's answer to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so not only is it in space with all of these cool colors and everything that makes Jack Kirby's art beautiful, but it's also everything that made Guardians of the Galaxy popular. Wow. So it's very much a, it's very much a movie-based choice. And it's interesting to watch that something that happened in the comics translates decades later into some in a, into a decision that's made by the movies 
all just telling the same stories, just in a different medium. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and it's not an uncommon thing. If you look at Jim Lee, who was a really popular creator in the, really popular artist, really. No in, relation in to Stan Lee, right? No, but Jim Lee is not known as much for creating characters. I mean, he created the Wildcats, but he mostly is known for what he did with existing ones. What he did with the X-Men is huge. Wow. He was the face of X-Men art in the 90s, and then he went from Marvel to DC. And when you go to DC, usually if you're a really marquee name like Jim Lee was, you get a choice to work on one of the big two. Batman, Superman. Okay. And so Jim Lee picked Batman. Right. And what we see as sort of the modern, grizzled, tough, broad, mean-looking Batman is a combination of what Frank Miller did in the like late 80s and what Jim Lee has done in the last 20 years at DC. Frank Miller. Why do I know that name? Frank Miller wrote and did the art for um, some really seminal pieces of work in comics that turned into really seminal pieces of work in film. Okay. And so 300 All is right. one of them. Mm -hmm. Sin City Sin City, that's is what another I thought. I, I wanted to say it, but I didn't want to embarrass you, Matt, by saying the wrong thing. <laughs> no, okay. you're right. And another really interesting one is what he did with Batman, with The Dark Knight Returns. And it was sort of an old, busted, retired Batman coming back into the fold. And so Zack Snyder took a lot of those ideas and a lot of the art and applied that into Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Okay. Not a great movie. Okay. But some really beautiful production design choices and some really gorgeous story elements, like this old grizzled Batman, which is not something that we had seen a lot of in the movies. We had seen a fresh-faced Batman yeah. in the Chris Nolan work. We had seen, you know, the phantasmagoric versions that we got from uh, Burton. We saw the nipples on bat suits that we got from Schumacher. But we hadn't really seen the, the grizzled, angry, retired, ready-to-just-give-it-all-up kind of Batman. Okay. And it was really neat to see the way that was treated in, uh, in Zack Snyder's version of the cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. The most recent creator that has done that Marvel to DC switch is another, another guy who's not really known for creating as many characters as he's known for updating and turning into characters that are ready for TV shows and movies. His name's Brian Michael Bendis. Okay. And he made Jessica Jones. Oh, okay. That's what he's really known for making. But he turned Daredevil, an old Stan Lee creation, into what is our current cinematic Netflix version of Daredevil. Right. And he did the same thing for Luke Cage. He's done the same thing for a lot of characters. He was part of what was called the story group at Marvel. And the story group is a group of a cabal basically okay. of about five or six creators in the in the mid to late 2000s that made characters movie ready they turned them in the comics into something you could make a movie about and oh. so that idea of this is such a cool idea iron man how do we turn this like third or fourth string character 
into, you know, a movie some people might like. And then it broke records, invented the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And people like Brian Michael Bendis were at the desk coming up with the ideas on how to do that. Fascinating. Yeah. And, and what was the impetus of that? Was it the success of something that went from comic to film? Or was it just... The impetus of the story group? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, the story group. Well, it was the idea that Marvel had spent decades licensing out their properties. Okay. They licensed to Sony, Spider-Man. They licensed to Fox, Fantastic Four, and X-Men. And they got a lot of money out of that because there was a time about 25 years ago where Marvel was on the verge of bankruptcy. Wow. And so they were trying desperately to make some money off of something. And selling comics makes you some money. But getting an option agreement executed and then making a, making a movie that is based on your characters, that makes you some real bank. Right. So the people at Marvel were really excited to make those deals in the 70s and the 80s sure. and the 90s. Sure. Who wouldn't be? Right? But then they started to see that these movies kind of sucked a lot. Okay. You know, there's a Captain America movie from the late 80s, early 90s that is sheer garbage. Right. And... It's unfortunate when you get to watch your really cool characters just not treated well, not doing well at the box office. But Marvel got very involved with Blade. And oh. Blade, starring Wesley Snipes, did very well. Okay. And when that did well, a, a little-known producer named Kevin Feige was involved also in a movie called X-Men. Which did very well. And did, did they, they didn't necessarily have, anticipate it would do as well as it did, right? No, they okay. did not spend very much money on the first X-Men movie, and it wasn't even made by Marvel Studios, per se. Mm -hmm. But it had enough input from the people at Marvel that the people at Marvel started to have the confidence that, you know, if we were to put our own characters on screen ourselves, make an independent film separate of the studios... It might be pretty good, because right. we know our characters. And so Iron Man is an independent film. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was paid for by a comic book company that if Iron Man failed, they would have all of their characters that are now beloved Avengers on the big screen. Right. They were collateral on wow. the deals. So if, if Iron Man tanked and they lost $100 million on it, they would have conceivably had to part with Captain America and Thor and all of the characters that are worth so much money now. Right. At the time, it was like mortgaging a house. And was Iron Man, correct me if I'm wrong, not one of the more popular characters? He it, was it, not. He wasn't. No, he was... In the 90s and 2000s, Iron Man was a third-rate character. Okay. Nobody really cared about him. Back in the... In the 60s. Now, you know you're going to have fans who are, like, listening, saying, we cared for him from the first issue that he came out. Iron so. Man's always had his fans. Okay. He didn't sell Were you a fan? Uh, no. Okay. No, I liked the classic I, I liked the classic Iron Man stories. And there's a really dark Iron Man story called um, Demon in a Bottle mm -hmm. about Tony Stark being uh, an Did alcoholic. Did Christina Aguilera write that one? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay. Um, but it was about alcoholism, okay. and, and it was really dark. Um, the idea that Tony Stark wore this thing on his chest to keep him alive, mm -hmm. and it was really destroying his mental health, and he was going to alcohol, and wow. he was going down a very dark path. And they allude to it a little bit in Iron Man 2, but it's a... It's, 
it's the Disney version really, okay. of, of that storyline. Although mm-hmm. Disney had nothing to do with it, right? You're Disney just had saying, nothing to do with it at the time. But um, it's a lot of the reason that Disney realized they could pick up, they could buy Marvel Studios. Wow. Because Marvel was able to make a family-friendly movie that still dealt with mature themes, made things difficult for their characters, and attracted the core audience of actual comic book fans. Whereas DC has had a lot of problems with that. Wow. They've made really dark movies, or they've made really, like, the unfocused movies like um, Green Lantern. They've made a lot of strange choices. But by hiring Brian Michael Bendis, DC is very clearly making a play that they're trying to do better. Wow. Because they hired one of the experts from Marvel at turning this zany, weird comic book character into this highly successful movie character. So it'll be interesting to see what DC does mm-hmm. now. Because unlike Marvel, who has licensed out a bunch of their characters, you won't see an X-Man in a Marvel Studios movie unless this merger between Fox and Disney happens. Wolverine doesn't get to play with the Avengers. Right. Even though in the comics, they're together all the time. Wow. So there's complex licensing deals that Marvel has to deal with. DC doesn't have that problem. DC despite all their errors making films, sure. own every one of their characters because Warner Brothers and DC have never licensed them out. They have them. And so it's kind of shocking that Marvel has been able to enjoy the success they have with all of the limitations that are stacked on top of them. Whereas DC, limitless, and they've just been falling over themselves over and over and over again. So that would bring me to think Marvel should start creating new characters that they don't license and keep and start promoting that them. But I guess the process of building the fan base takes longer than, you know, one, one could imagine. Oh, it's hard. I mean, oh. consider the fact that two of the most successful Marvel movies in recent memory are Black Panther mm-hmm. and Spider-Man Homecoming. And those two characters both showed up in Captain America 3, Civil War, so that the audiences would be excited for Spider-Man and Black Panther. Right. And that was done in such an excellent way with beautiful casting and interesting story and character elements so that when the movie came out with those guys, you wanted to go see it. Sure. And they've tried to do that with uh, DC characters with varying degrees of success. Wonder Woman. That was a very successful movie, and she was introduced in sort of uh, not such a great movie. She was introduced in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was. Yeah, nobody cares because everyone went to go see Wonder Woman. Not as many people cared about Batman and Superman. Right. And so to be in this position now where DC is looking at their library and reaching into stuff like Jack Kirby's old uh, characters like New Gods so that they can go after that Guardians of the Galaxy group and that they're bringing on Brian Michael Bendis who when he came on board and was offered one of the big two he said give me Superman Wow! now Superman hasn't had a sequel which is strange okay. because in this new cinematic universe, Man the, of Steel well, came out Superman years ago. Hasn't had a sequel, exactly. right? Okay, so in sort of the modern advent of the cinematic universe, right. there's just been like Superman in this Batman movie, right. and then Superman in this Justice League movie. But Superman himself has not had a Man of Steel too. 
Right, okay. And so the idea that Brian Michael Bendis chose Superman is no coincidence. Oh. That's so that when they get to Man of Steel 2, they've got a Man of Steel worth making. You could write a show that just deals with the comic creators and and you never see the characters they create, but this intrigue and this sort of... Like, and just write a show about creators who are creating content that is exciting, but just focus on them. Yeah. I steered you away from what you were saying about Iron Man. I want to bring you back there because oh. I know if I was listening, I'd be like, Marco, you took him away from the story, and I never <laughs> got to hear the rest of that. Well, the thing about Iron Man is that he was so popular in the 60s. The Avengers began in the 60s right. with the core group of, of um, Iron Man with the Hulk and Thor, and watching these guys fight together. Captain America wasn't even out of his frozen block of ice yet. Okay. But watching them deal with Loki was a wonderful, exciting story. Getting to watch these characters battle evil together. Even though Iron Man was a third string character. Well, at the time, he was really important. Okay. And then in the 90s, nothing mattered more than the X-Men. I feel like I'm taking a history class. I really do. Where it's like, okay. <laughs> well, the neat thing is, in the 90s, X-Men was where it's at. And do you remember who was the um, artist of the X-Men in the 90s? No. Jim Lee. Okay. And so Jim Lee was making everything so popular on the X-Men front. But the X-Men had been licensed to Fox. So that meant that no one was really as interested in these second-string characters. Okay. And Marvel got the rights back to Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and the Hulk. Right. And these are characters that make up the core team of the Avengers. And that was no coincidence. They were slowly building back what they needed so that when they made that first Iron Man movie and had that moment where Sam Jackson walks out and says... There's a bigger world out there. Right. I, I want to introduce you to the Avengers Initiative. That was laying groundwork. I've got goosebumps, man. <laughs> that was laying groundwork in the way comic books lay groundwork. Okay. Because previously, Superman had his movies. The X-Men had their movies. And, you know, you never got to see Batman pop up in a Superman movie. It happened in the comics every day. Right. But Kevin Feige at Marvel wanted the joy that a comic book reader can get when the Hulk strolls into a Thor movie. Wow. He wants that joy, the way that you get it in the comics. And then we get Thor Ragnarok. Like, My goodness. That's where that fun comes from. The idea that these characters live in the same world. And, you know, there's an occasional moment in Batman and Robin when someone mentions Metropolis. Right. You, you, you think for a moment, maybe, but no, it never happened. Fascinating. But in, in the 21st century, it has been the, the age of the cinematic universe, where the characters get to do what they do in the comics. Speaking of today, who are creators that are working today that you're excited about? You know, it's, it's funny because we're in an age now where it's not so much about making new characters. Okay. Really, since the 60s, there have only been so many new characters that are fascinating and endure. Ghost Rider endures. Right. Um, you know, when Frank Miller revises Batman, you get a new version of Batman. Mm -hmm. And when Jim Lee revises Batman, you get another new version of Batman. Right. I'm excited for what Brian Michael Bendis does with Superman. Because okay. Superman is the original hero. 
In fact, he just had his 1,000th issue. Wow. Yeah. And, in fact, it's sort of a meta moment in those... In that, in that issue, if you go and pick it up, there's a moment where Wonder Woman says, in the comic, if it wasn't for you, none of us would be here. And it's like a... It's a personal moment where, in the history of comics, Wonder Woman wouldn't have a comic if Action Comics number one didn't fly off the shelves. Wow. Detective Comics number one, where Batman was invented, wouldn't have existed if Action Comics hadn't flown off the shelves. The idea that all of these characters recognize in the comic that they owe their existence to Superman is really quite lovely. What happens next? What do you want to see happen next, man? And I know this opens up. We've got three minutes left, so I'm going to ask you the question that would take, uh, you know, 26 minutes to answer itself. On the DC side? Yeah. I want to see Brian Michael Bendis make Superman matter again. Okay. Because Superman is a beautiful character that is best defined by his villain. And when you have an arguably boring character because he is so powerful, right? the villain and the interaction between them is what makes it work. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what Bendis does there. I would argue that Christopher Reeves' Superman was only great because of Gene Hackman's Luther. Absolutely. That's my argument there. I would agree. Wow, I sound like I know something. Okay. I think you do. I think you do. <laughs> and I think on the Marvel side, I want to see Fox finish being purchased by Disney. Because once that happens, Wolverine gets to hang out with Captain America. And I want that so bad. Really? I do. Okay. One of the most leg- the, the first appearance of Wolverine is when he shows up to assassinate the Hulk. He shows up to kill the Hulk. Okay. And I would love to see that fight on the big screen. The impervious man right. versus the indestructible man. Come on. Well, there what you go. What a great fight. My goodness. Well, Matt, thank you so much for all your information here with regards to the creators who are often the unsung heroes of the comic book hero world. Is that safe to say? I would say so. Fantastic. Well, once again, Matt, always a great guest. And let us know what you think of this episode because we might have to have a second parter where we delve into another aspect of comic books um, for people who are really interested. Oh, I'd be delighted. All right. As always, this is The Insomnia Project produced by Drumcast Productions. This particular episode was recorded in Toronto. And we invite you once again to please leave us a five-star review and visit our Patreon page patreon.com slash the insomnia project hope you have a great day